How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Ask LC Podcast. My name's Harrison. Good to be with you. Hey, this is Mike Moses, lead pastor of Lake Forest Church, Huntersville. Good to uh, talk with you all this morning. Um, today, we are going to introduce the season of Advent, uh, some of its background uh, as Christians in Christian history practices today mm-hmm. as a, uh, a sort of a a background to the sermon series we've just started called Advent Conspiracy. Uh, but before that, Harrison, how was your Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving was wonderful. The benefit, Mike, of having uh, both of our sets of families living close is that Thanksgiving becomes a, a multi-day marathon rather than <laughs> rather than a one-day sprint. So it was That's a fantastic. benefit. You're it saying that's a benefit. Major benefit, yes. <laughs> it's two, it's a, two full days of... Thanksgiving, eating, it, nice. it was awesome, uh, multiple food comas achieved, and a lot of football, and uh, ham, and turkey, and all the good stuff, it was great, how about you guys? Nice, we we did all of that, we played games, we uh, went for hikes, and my adult sons, uh, and our daughter-in-law, and um, my mom and brother, uh, and my other son's girlfriend, we uh, gathered in the mountains, and uh, but we had something unique this year. We uh, spread my father's ashes. This was almost a year after his death, and so being that far removed, and we were thankful the Lord took him when He did because of mm. His disease. Uh, it was a uh, it was a gentle grounding, fitting thing as we uh, spread his ashes in a place that was special to him and special awesome. to all of us. So we held a kind of an informal ceremony prayed just a little bit mostly just told stories about my dad so and then we feasted so that was the start to our thanksgiving (laughs) that was part of our thanksgiving day we'll always remember that that is awesome i've i've said all the time mike i don't know how you feel but maybe uh just as a practice with family i mean thanksgiving is thanksgiving's the tops for me i just love thanksgiving especially it's like there's no pressure of all the gifts and on christmas is awesome and fun but thanksgiving is just for me, it's just about being together. I super love it. It was awesome. It was a good week. I love it, but I very quickly turned to excitement about Christmas. I love the Christmas season for all the reasons people do. But for my own unique reason, I, I've had a unique seat for 25 years leading Christmas Eve worship. Mm-hmm. And people show up hopeful, uh, full of, of a unique type of wonder and openness uh, and a sense of togetherness or a desire for togetherness. And I've seen God do amazing things in people's lives, um, sometimes because of what happens in a Christmas Eve service, maybe most often because um, uh, the Lord opens a little bit of a window for the Holy Spirit to start flowing in in the new year. Hmm. So I i am uh, i don't know if that's workaholism or not, but I immediately start looking forward to Christmas Eve worship on the 23rd and the 24th. I can't wait for that. I I have, um, Harrison, I've started praying through. This is the first year where I don't already know who the one more person is that I'll be inviting to our Christmas Eve worship. Uh, and I hope that all all of us at Lake Forest will be praying. Who Who's your one more person? Mm-hmm. This year, maybe one more hurting person who has given up on church but not on God, uh, someone in your life and um, who you know well, you may not even know them that well. Um, 
people are open to an invite from a trusted friend or family member um, to a worship event. No matter what they may say overtly about what they believe or don't believe, what their habits appear to be. So I hope um, I'm praying about who, it, and this year it will be more of a risk. It, it it will certainly be someone I don't know as well, just because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm not sure who it will be. Yeah, we we just want to make sure that you know that you and your <clears throat> one more person persons are invited to join us. We do a ton of services around Christmas weekend. We're going to be doing Saturday the 23rd at 5.30. And this year, uh, every so often as it rotates on the calendar, we get a really unique Christmas Eve where Christmas Eve also right. happens to fall on Sunday. Yes. So our Sunday worship and our Christmas Eve worship are the same, although the times are going to be a little bit different so that we can still uh, flex into when it makes sense for people to come to church on Christmas Eve. So on Christmas Eve, Sunday the 24th, we're doing a service at 11.05, just like we always would do. Then there's a little bit of a break, and we come back, uh, and we do 2.30, 4 o'clock, and 5.30. So we have a total of uh, five options for you to join us and worship on Christmas Eve, even the 23rd, which has been really cool over the past mm-hmm. however long we've been doing it, six, seven years, as uh, we've really noticed a ton of people that uh, go uh, out of town to spend Christmas with family have taken us up on still being able to come to church in person on the 23rd, which has been really neat. And a lot of people take us up on that. So it's nice. Yes. So looking forward to that. Uh, please, and note on that, on the 24th, on Christmas Eve, actual Christmas Eve, we will not be having our normal 9.30 a.m. service time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> They'll all be Christmas Eve-themed uh, services. They'll all be the same worship experience. But the first one is at 11.05. And we'd love to have uh, those of you. So we have some folks um, who love to serve every Christmas Eve all day. They just like that. It's part of their worship. Um, uh, in particular, a single parent or two who uh, uh, they will have their child on Christmas Day. They love this being their family on Christmas Eve, for example. Mm-hmm. There are other folks, empty nesters, uh, who won't see the kids, who like to be here all day. We're going to have a big lunch party, actually, in the middle of the day of mm-hmm. all those Christmas Eve services for everyone serving. Yep. And and little known fact, just incentive every year, Mike, just revealing a secret here. You and I talk before Christmas Eve services, and we pick which one we're going to do our best music and best teaching at, but we're not going to reveal, so you just have to come, and hopefully you pick the right one. The other four, you know, like a solid B plus, but there's one we really, no, I'm just kidding. We, fine. we go for all of them. We, we really, man, we, we love, we love delivering uh, our best stuff on Christmas Eve, not to make ourselves or our church look good, but because like you said, Mike, we know this is an opportunity that we just have a ton of people receptive and open uh, to the message of Jesus. So we, mm-hmm. we love it and we go all out. It's awesome. Well, we started the Advent season in our worship Last Sunday, which is a series of Sundays, it, that's a Advent uh, is from the Latin word uh, "coming" or "to come" mm-hmm. or "arrival," um, and it's a it's a traditional word for this season of anticipating the initial arrival arrival of the Messiah, the arrival of the Messiah in each of our hearts and lives initially to become a Christian, and his arrival daily in relationship with him. And then the third arrival is looking forward to his second advent, his, Jesus' second coming. 
And uh, so, Harrison, uh, we we celebrate this season a little bit at Lake Forest Church. I've been a part of churches who did not use the word Advent. Mm-hmm. Have you? I ha- I mean, the church that I grew up in, that was not a, a word I was familiar okay. with. We were a very, you know, non-denominational, you know, dot, dot, dot church. And that just wasn't <clears throat> both, neither uh, Advent nor Lent would have been in any kind of my lexicon growing up in church. My experience is uh, my church did a li- I think we used the word Advent. I might have done a, th- a thing or two to observe that it was the Christmas season ahead of the Christmas services. Uh, we did not observe. Advent is a little more common in Protestant churches, low church Protestant churches, non-denominational, Baptisty mm-hmm. in particular, uh, or Pentecostal. Advent is a little more common to be celebrated uh, than Lent is. Um, but of course, historically, the church has, uh, well, why don't you introduce us to a little bit of the history of Advent? The Advent season is not taught in Second John chapter 3, verse 500. It is a way that Christians sort of have, have found to, uh, to mark something, one of the most significant moments in our faith history. Yeah, um, Advent as a as a season of celebration was was really something that uh, the church evolved into over time. Uh, from from what I have looked up and studied just a little bit, Mike, it looks like uh, the celebration of Advent be, be, began as early as the early fourth century. So this is this is only a few That's hundred very years. Early on, yeah, a few hundred years. It says in Spain and Gaul, Christians observed a period of fasting and preparation. Uh, that was a lead up to the celebration of the birth of Christ on Epiphany. Then they celebrated as January 6th. Um, and then moving forward, uh, I was just telling you right before you came in, Mike, adding in kind of this element of penitence to that was recognized as strongly the influence of Irish missionaries okay. who, who viewed this season as a, a repent, prepare, prepare yourself for the arrival and for the coming of Christ. And this has evolved over time through uh, the church through a long stretch through the Roman Catholic Church made this a part of their celebration and tradition. And, and now even we as uh, as little P Presbyterians and Christians of all different faiths have, have adopted and, and uh, taken on this practice that that we have uh, looked at over time of just being able to to set apart and mark this time as a. Uh, anticipation of the arrival of our Savior. So, yeah, I mean, it, they eventually moved the date that they celebrated it to uh, December 25th. That was that was only within the last uh, four, four or five hundred years or so. So we we know uh, that December 25th. Uh, right. Probably was it's, uh, it has the, a it has traditional a traditional yeah. date of Jesus' birth. Yes. We 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 picked a day to celebrate, just like uh, uh, yeah we 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 have assigned a date to to celebrate, just as we do with Easter. Although um, the the celebration of the season of Advent uh, begins the first uh, <clears throat> it be, it begins the first Sunday as early as November twenty seventh and as late as December third. So somewhere in that window, we start celebrating Advent, and then each Sunday. Throughout that season, we celebrate the season of Advent, and historically, uh, we've done this uh, some seasons here at Lake Forest. We lean into a little bit more. Um, if if you see here or other places, um, there will traditionally be candles that are set up mm-hmm. 
in your worship space to celebrate Advent. And each one of these candles uh, has a has a meaning. There's t- there's typically five candles. Um, the first candle we light uh, represents hope. Um, these these candles are purple. This is the color associated with Advent. The the hope candle represents penance, preparation, sacrifice. That's the first week. The second week of Advent is peace. Uh, we reflect on our lives and work on becoming uh, better versions of ourselves and closer to Christ in preparation to his coming. Uh, remember the journey that G- that Joseph and Mary took from Nazareth to Bethlehem. The third week of Advent, we uh, reflect on joy. We are filled with joy for the near arrival of Jesus on Christmas Day. And then the fourth week of Advent, uh, we represents love. That fourth candle represents love. And then the fifth candle Mike's favorite, the Christ candle. We light <laughs> traditionally on Christmas Eve as the celebration. Right. And again, like you said, Mike, there's no, uh, there's no outline that Paul wrote to the early church that says, and you shall place out five candles and uh, right. for the month before right. the celebration of birth. No, but it's a, it's a way that we, uh, as Christ followers, have found to add uh, some richness, fullness, uh, focus, um, in our anticipation of celebrating the arrival of Christ. So we, we love leaning into it. We, we sometimes refer to ourselves as an ancient future church, and there are plenty of folks in more traditional churches that lean into the ancient expressions of Christian worship who would consider we, we, we may barely be, have, uh, be able to use the word ancient. There are others who are fully modern worship churches, very similar to us, who think it's weird that we might stop and do something like observe Advent. We have an Advent wreath in our worship service. Um, we, we do want to learn from, be humble, show humility, uh, 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 and um, uh, a posture of learning to Christians of the previous 2,000 years. And that's why we, we have a list of, of uh, a lot of the most traditional historic elements of Christian worship, and we attempt to reinterpret them. Sometimes we'll do that in a way in a worship service that we're overt, and, and we'll call it a prayer of confession, for example, or it'll be very clear when we're reading the Apostles' Creed weekly mm-hmm. for one six-week series. Other times we reinterpret a, uh, uh, a historic Christian worship practice without saying so, and it may or may not be apparent in how we read Scripture, how we yeah. have the congregation speak back and forth antiphonally, uh, with the leader, and so in this way, uh, the, uh, keeping Advent is um, Advent and Lent are two of the sort of um, uh, the pillars of at, at what ancient future means to us as Lake Forest. And I'll, I'd like to say two words about that. N- number one, because it's not a biblical command, we're free to um, to allow it to serve us, and we don't serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, Advent. Yep. So, for example, Harrison, there, there's a very specific. You know, you you uh, traditionally, it's the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and then Christmas Day. Very traditional churches all have worship services, and mm-hmm. that's the day they light the Christ candle. Hmm. We count it differently, and we our Christmas Eve service is when we light the Christ candle. And like this year, for those. Uh, with their calendars out, you'll notice that uh, actually Christmas Eve Sunday is the fourth Sunday. Well, because of that, we, oh my gosh, 
I hope this is okay. I hope nobody's getting ready to break in here and bust us, the yeah. Advent police. We actually started Advent a week earlier than, than the rest of the Western world this past Sunday so that we have four Sundays progressing through with the Advent wreath, the Advent candle, the, and our Advent themes in our series Advent Conspiracy, uh, culminating then because Christmas is on uh, Christmas Eve is on Sunday – We'll like the Christ. So that's an example of we are certainly in no way bound by tradition. One of the things that I like the most about observing Advent and Lent, the um, it has been ingrained in the Christian in Christians and Christian leadership for two thousand years, with the exception of the Radical Reformation uh, and uh, sort of the Baptistic Anabaptistic arm of protestantism in the last couple of hundred years where it's gone it didn't go here originally but to observe to um throughout the year to observe christian time or the christian calendar Mm -hmm. um and so for example in the roman catholic or the lutheran or the anglican church there are readings most sundays of the year starting with the first sunday of advent going all the way through post-Pentecost, that are tracking um, the Christian, so that Christians, they observe a reading about an event in sacred history of the life of Jesus from his birth, then his ministry, then his baptism, his Mount of Transfiguration is one, and then of course Lent gets gets us moving toward the cross and Easter. It it's a way of the 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 philosophy behind the 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 spiritual formation philosophy behind it is Christians should be formed by a uh, uh, an understanding of time that is sacred that. Uh, is most influenced by God's events breaking into this world. Those should form us more than the day-to-day news, the occasions of a good ha- harvest, a bad harvest, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so we take that, and we do not follow that all throughout the year, but we take the big two, <laughs> the incarnation and the resurrection, right? the cross and the resurrection, and, and we mark our entire year as a church together is are anchored in those two poles uh, of of Christian history, and, and I think another big part of it, and we've <clears throat> talked about this a little bit before, Mike. But I just I think it's really cool to notice how, um, and this is even you know this is mirrored in in nature. It's mirrored in our own bodies and our circadian rhythm. Like there's there's things where there are there are seasons of things. Like there are there are patterns of things that make sense to us, and and it it being a uh, a 70 degree perfect sunny day every day 365 of those would start to get weird like we're we're made to move through changes and seasons and, and these stretches of time and, and it's it's been really neat for me Mike since being here at Lake Forest and, and especially leaning more into Advent and Lent and, and really lending those seasons weight really helps you um appreciate and understand them more when you're giving them a little bit more weight, a little bit more time and a, and a strong seasonality to it where it's kind of like this, this deep winter stretch always kind of reminds me of the Advent season, even, even walking out and, and, and having it feel cold outside and seeing Christmas lights and all this kind of becomes bundled up with, um, adding that into every part of this season for, for me, which is pretty cool. 
It, it involves the body. It involves sensory memory, which, which is a deeper learning than a, um, a auditory learning only. Um, uh, so, for example, one of the uh, one of those sensory experiences is, that we started with this Sunday is the Advent wreath. Um, that's an example. It's a common practice in mm-hmm. homes and in churches. Um, do you know where the Advent wreath started, Harrison? Tell me. Um, uh, well, uh, German Lutherans in the 16th century. So they they mm-hmm. they separated from the Roman Catholic Church in Germany. That was where the original Protestant Reformation began. And they started celebrating, they kept the seasonality, and they kept ad, the Advent season, but they started um, innovating a little bit. And the Advent wreath with its candles was one of the things they changed. But the, the current wreath in its current form um, really originated in 1839 um, uh, in an initiative by Johann Heinrich Wickham a Protestant pastor in Germany, and he was actually an early urban missionary uh, working among the poor. And he was he taught poor children. You kind of imagine children of coal miners uh, or salt miners in that part of the world. Um, and uh, they were impatient waiting for Christmas hmm. because by then Christmas is – is beginning to take some shape of what it is today, the, the uh, even presence then. And they were impatient, and so he made a ring of wood, and he made 19 small little taper candles and four large white candles. Hmm. And every morning he would light one candle. So the, he must have taught the children daily, I'm imagining. This is before there were, was any such thing as public schools, Christian missionaries, uh, in the 1800s or who pioneered education and hmm. school for everyone, the poor, not just the rich, who would pay private tutors. Um, hmm. And so in, the, in, this, in this Christian who was paying attention to justice in, in behalf of the name of the Lord, which is education and opportunity for children of the poor and mercy to love them. So every day he would light hmm. one of those little candles. And then on Sunday, one of the four big ones, of course, we've retained – the four big ones. That's uh, cool. I thought that was kind of That's neat awesome. to learn. I, had, yeah. I didn't know that before. Yeah. Um, a, a zoom back question for just a second to you, Mike, because I know this has been important to you for a while. You've touched on it just a little bit, but as you, <clears throat> um, in lead pastor mode of steering, you know, what you want your church to be and what, what we walk through together, why initially was, being what you call an ancient, an ancient future church, um, an important thing for you to lean into as we build our liturgies and practices here at Lake Forest. What mm. stuck out about that to you? Mm. Um, well, early on. Well, first of all, when we started as a church, we we wanted to be a both and church: worship and evangelism. Worship meaning uh, that Sunday worship and everything we do is about the worship of the living God in a way that forms Christians into uh, more faithful disciples of Jesus. And that the way we do that, and particularly in our worship events weekly, uh, that it, it is accessible and compelling to people who've given up on church but not on God. Both and church, worship and evangelism at the same time. Um, as I began to grasp for ways to keep my spiritual center on Christ as a, past, a young pastor of a new church, I found that my 
the tools that I had at hand were not sufficient. Um, and the Lord led me to begin, through mentors and friends, begin learning some of the, the, the more um, historically attested devotional practices of mm. silence, solitude, Lectio Divina, which is praying the scriptures prayerfully, mm. um, uh, retreat, um, having a spiritual director, etc., uh, and other things, and this this uh, led me to a theme verse that I began to claim not just for, that I began to claim for my own devotional life, as I learned particularly from early Celtic Christianity, as I began to learn from Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox um, uh, practices, and, and and initially it was just devotional practices for me to be healthy and whole as a follower of Christ that I was putting on. I, I found that my own tradition of low church evangelical protestantism was great uh but did not fully equip me for life in the spirit hmm. uh and i uh I, I ran across the verse jeremiah six sixteen. well i was taught this this is what the lord says stand at the crossroads and look ask for the ancient paths ask where the good way is and walk in it and hmm. you will find rest for your souls hmm. first of all there's resonance there Jesus is quoting this later when he says, follow me and you'll find rest for your souls. It, Jesus was not something new. He was a continuation, mm-hmm. a renewal of God's covenant with humanity in a very unique way in his person. But this stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient past, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. I I wanted to... Uh, I wanted to be to be done with the modernist Christian fantasy that we were inventing Christianity for the first time, and this is the only and best way to do it. And so, I uh, that uh, that's maybe too long of an answer, um, and felt that uh, now here's a second more practical m- missional answer, Harrison. At the same time, at the turn of the the two thousand year. There was a lot being written and thought about this turn from modernism to postmodernism in our worldview. To um, uh, and it was, and in particular, in a move from baby boomer generation and what they cared about and what would speak to them of the truth of God to Gen X and now millennial and and Gen Z. There was this this shifting from uh, enlightenment rationalism and modernism of well, just give me the argument, the factual argument, and whatever seems true to me, then I'll believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll believe my way into. Uh, I, I will rationally think my way into this. And there, there was a lot being made of this shift into a, a post-modern, post-enlightenment uh, worldview that that we very much inhabit today. Which is, uh, truth is more uh, is is accessed and believed more experientially than rationally. It includes the rational. Certainly includes the rational. And so uh, if you picture a if you've ever been in if you've ever been to New England and toured inside a uh, a Puritan house of worship from the colonial era, they very much they would construct a plain white square box building with no ornamentation at all. Mm-hmm. 
because they they were the the most pure version of post enlightenment rational approach to Christianity. This is only about what you're learning didactically, and that's the only thing that's true. And anything else is popish and Roman Catholic. Any colors and smells and bells, um, stained glass, right? That that spoke of something um, fleshly to them. Um, I think we've been part at Lake Forest and many, many churches of a recapturing within our stream of Protestantism of, wait, um, we, we learn, um, we learn rationally, but there's this whole side of us that's opened up by beauty, by wonder, by our bodily participation as we consider the, the truth as we're presented with the truth of Jesus. And so, so again, maybe too long of an <laughs> answer, but uh, I, I, we wanted to approach a more immersive or experiential approach so that as we engage in worship evangelism, I'll just talk about the worship event every mm-hmm. Sunday. Yep. Christians, are we're, we are learning didactically. We have our Bibles open. We're reading the Word of God. And we're, we're, the reason we have lights... The reason we have screens and beauty and we care about the decoration each series is we want to open up all of the senses um, but because it has a deeper imprint on the human personality, uh, a, a, a stronger formative power um, than merely the rational. Mm. Um, it includes the rational very much so. So all that to say, that is some of the big idea because th- then – Then I was asking the question, and pastors of my generation, where do we go to learn immersive worship? Where do we go to learn how to include the body uh, uh, art? Oh, we learn from the ancient church. Uh, Look, ask for the ancient paths. Ask for where the good way is. Walk in it, and you'll find rest for your souls. So we've been trying to learn from that ever since. That's awesome. Two things, Mike. Number one, you're going to have to talk me out of titling this episode Smells and Bells because that is fantastic. (laughs) Um, Number two, an angle of this I'd never thought about until you uh, were saying this or haven't thought about in a while at least. That's really cool when it comes to ancient future practices in our church. You mentioned... Jesus, it got me thinking about both Jesus and Paul. Um, they they modeled this same kind of thinking in their approach to reaching the Jewish people. They that so much of what you see in Jesus and Paul's writings are like as it's written, as it was said, mm-hmm. and they're literally like adding weight to their argument by saying, you know, this is you've seen this before, mm-hmm. you've you've been walking in this, and I think part of the strength and there have been studies. In uh, especially younger, um, younger uh, s- people who are seeking, who are exploring faith, that that um, some l- liturgical services that really lean into the ancient stuff kind of appeal to them back around of of saying like, there's like some there's more richness and right. and history to this than just some uh, slick back hair mega pastor who I'm not sure if I even trust anything he's saying these these folks are leaning into stuff that they're going like we're gonna we're gonna recite this creed and it's been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds right. of years and this was not 
made up by three of us in our office on Tuesday. And there's like a lot of <laughs> like weight that it gives that. And I just, as you were saying, it's, it's really cool thinking that we're again, n- nothing new under the sun, but we're really adapting a, an evangelistic practice that we see even as early as Jesus and in Paul of pointing backwards to say, this has been done. You, you've seen this. This is not new. I'm just coming to show you a, a, a new way. God's revealing some new stuff through me and Jesus, but I'm pointing back first mm-hmm. so that you, the, the weight of that comes through, which is super cool. And, um, and something else, a couple of other ancient future aspects to us, which are below the waterline, not above. Because you could be listening to this or send this to a friend who attends a uh, an Episcopal church or an Anglican church, and they'd be like, Psh, you're doing that wrong. Like, okay, that's cute. You know, you have a few little ancient things. Uh, but 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 you've got earplugs in the lobby, bro. Um, you're yeah. way into the future thing. And yeah. we are. We want to speak the vernacular. Verbally, I'm trying to teach God's Word in the vernacular in the way that your golf buddy— would be like, I understood what he said. I, I may not agree with it. Uh, number two, uh, so um, we are trying to speak the vernacular musically and uh, verbally. Uh, and so that there's that's unapologetic. Uh, at, um, but a couple of below the waterline ancient future aspects of us is number one, we are part of a denomination. Not because we think Presbyterian is the only or the best, you know, etc. God led me and therefore our church into this stream of Christianity through through his own means. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're part of it because for 2,000 years, the ancient way, <laughs> the good way, has been for churches and pastors in particular to be mutually submitted to one another for right doctrine and right practice mm-hmm. so that no church or, or pastor is an authority unto himself. So that's some of the best um, f- from ancient practice. Secondly, uh, we inherit in our Presbyterian tradition a high value of an educated clergy, and I mean a biblically, theologically, church-historically educated clergy who have been educated in the history of the interpretation of the Bible. Oh, here's the way that this seems real, like a really new take on the Incarnation. Oh, look, it turned into the heresy of saying we are little gods, uh, like God with a capital G at somebody, for example, right? Um, and so those are two below the waterline aspects of being an ancient future church that that we think lend stability and trustworthiness. We hope um, and heftiness to what is a very modern feeling uh, church. <clears throat> I love being a part of that kind of church <clears throat> with you, Mike, and and being able to help walk our people through seasons like this and just gain a deeper understanding of the work of Christ and and um by the time you get to both Christmas Eve worship and Easter worship I and you have had the stretch of of real um preparation and focus and anticipation man it just just yes. adds to the sweetness of celebrating those Which days, Which I had doesn't never it? experienced before in my life, in my past church experiences, until we started doing it at Lake Forest. Mm-hmm. And Christmas is more worshipful to me. Easter is more worshipful. Mm-hmm. They have been more a part of my own weekly spiritual practices, culminating in me enjoying the Lord more in these seasons and making them... They're more Christian for me. Can I just say it that way? Mm-hmm. I... Th- 
um, they're more truly Christian and not a cultural holiday. And I'm thank I'm thankful for my church in that way. It's led me. I mean, I've been instrumental there, <laughs> but but I'm thankful to be part of a church that has led me there as a Christian. And so, as we finish today, Harrison, we're we're calling our Advent series Advent Conspiracy. We thought about not using the word conspiracy this year. um, We went with it for the main reason that this is a national movement that is over a decade old now. Uh, And so we kind of wanted, for those who are interested, you can look it up and see peer churches like us that have been doing this more and more churches for over a decade. So we thought we'd keep with the, the that title to show some um, simpaticoness with other churches in this movement. We, we consider with all the conspiracy theories out there today, <laughs> and it's, I don't know, it almost, uh, but, but we decided to stick with the word. Um, uh, you know, for our own reasons, and that to... to to keep the the sense in the title of uh, that the gospel is countercultural to the overarching narratives of the world and our culture uh, and our own flesh, and so that's the reason we kept the word there. That's awesome. Well, <clears throat> um, to wrap up, Mike, you had you had one more thing you wanted to um, to share with us that you had uh, yeah, that you just been yeah, reading, right? Yeah. So the four themes of Advent conspiracy are. Um, Worship fully, spend less, give more, love all. Mm-hmm. And we'll be, uh, Pastor Andrew in the first Sunday did some deconstructing, you know, of cultural approach to Christmas and, and does that overwhelm us so that we get lost in it. We'll be deconstructing a little bit a cultural or consumeristic Christmas, but the intent is not to induce guilt. It's not to put a new law on one another. It is to apply some really basic biblical principles to how we're engaging this season. It's to be truly celebrators of Advent, to be thoughtful, biblical, and theological, if I may say, mm-hmm. um, and looking at how it it influences our life and how we celebrate the season. So please don't anyone take guilt out of this. Let's look for more freedom as uh, this coming Sunday is spend less, and then the next week is give more. Um, in my uh, so I, I, let me finish with a, uh, a an Advent poem. Sounds good. Sharon's Christmas Prayer by John Shea. She was five, sure of the facts, and recited them with slow solemnity, convinced every word was revelation. She said, "They were so poor; they had only peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to eat." And they went a long way from home without getting lost. The lady rode a donkey. The man walked, and the baby was inside the lady. They had to stay in a stable with an ox and an ass. Hee hee. But the three rich men found them because a star lighted the roof. Shepherds came, and you could pet the sheep but not feed them. Then the baby was born, and do you know who he was? Her quarter eyes inflated to silver dollars. The baby was God. And Sharon jumped in the air, whirled round, dove into the sofa, and buried her head under the cushion, which is the only proper response to the good news of the Incarnation. 